0: You're listening to the On The Rise podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs as we make our way to the top. Here is your host, known as the property shark, Mr. John Lee.
1: Guys, John Lee here, also known as the Property Shark. Welcome back to another episode of the On the Rise podcast. Today, our guest is Michael. He is the founder of Illucity. Yep. And uh, he's crushing it. He's been busier than ever. Michael, thank you so much for you know coming on board with us today. I appreciate it. John, thank you for having the time to talk to me today. Absolutely. So Michael, uh, why don't you give people like a quick spiel of what you're about and your upbringing and all of that?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Michael Ninian and I'm the CEO and founder of Ellucidi and, um, we've been, me and my business partner and kind of my employees and everybody else have been on the journey in the virtual reality world for a few years now, but I have basically been in sales all of my life since I was like 13 years old and I'm 37 now. So it's all I've ever really done or known. Um, came up pretty standard working retail went to school for fashion worked in that industry for a bit and came back to vancouver where i transitioned into real estate for the peak market and sold kind of pre-sale stuff for um, a large marketing firm and then sold luxury resale in west vancouver for a well-known firm there and then kind of Off on my journey to create something bigger and something that was less about myself and more about kind of adding value to others and doing something as a team and with people because real estate is quite a lonely entrepreneurial journey and um, I've been kind of on that you know on that journey um, on that grind for like yeah two three years now and um, we're just kind of starting to turn the corner into kind of profitability and really kind of hitting that uh, rocket scaling with the company so that's kind of what I've always done. So um, on the entrepreneur side, I always tend towards kind of marketing, business development and sales, which is my wheelhouse. And then the other kind of thing that I really have is the ability to team build. So that was a very important one um, for kind of any early entrepreneur being able to start a company and something I would highly recommend looking into if you don't have any kind of uh, resources or um, experience in team building.
1: Absolutely, Michael. Uh, So kind of take me back to when you were growing up, you know, what what kind of impact your parents had on on you growing up?
0: For sure. Um, My dad was a doctor, GP, and um, my mom was a homemaker. So I was used to people being busy and out of the house quite a bit. And then I grew up with a couple of uncles who were both successful entrepreneurs uh, back in Alberta, uh, Northern Alberta specifically. So, you know, oil and gas, pharmaceuticals, these kind of things. And that's really where I saw a lot of the early fruits. Like I recognize that part, um, as a young kid growing up. Um, but, um, also got to see a lot of the kind of the hard work that really has to go into it and in the hours of sacrifice that both the entrepreneurs and the families have to go through to get there. So that's really a lot of where my early kind of, uh, passion for living this kind of lifestyle really came from was uh, from my uncles and my father.
1: That's amazing. And what was that first spark of interest in, in entrepreneurship for you? What did you do?
0: Um, I'd say the first time, like it's, I've always kind of had it because I never really fit into kind of, um, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, the corporate mindset. (laughs) I've always really, um, performed better when I was able to kind of do my own thing and find my own way and really not listen to anything anybody says, which I'm very good at. (laughs) And, um, that's, you know, um, so I guess like the first one would probably be way back working retail. And I kind of. I saw kind of the steps that people in retail take and you kind of work your way up on the floor and the management and the upper management and then it's ceilings. And for me, that was never, never enough. I always kind of just wanted more, um, whatever that is. And um, I just kind of decided that the only way to really get that was to do what my family did and to just start my own business and you know, try and fail until you make it.
1: And what, what age are you, were you when you first had that revelation?
0: Uh, early 20s. Um, so quite a while ago, but I didn't really act on it until my uh, late 20s, early
1: 30s. Got it, Michael. And, you know, you said you're good at like not listening to outside noise. Kind of what's what's the, the trick behind that? Because I feel like people get drowned in, in so much abundance of negativity and noise and, and that they lose focus on, you know, themselves and, and a sense of direction and what to do uh, in life. So.
0: For sure. And I mean, it's something that we all struggle with. I still do to this day. And you're going to, you know, it's something that anybody or any of us who have ever listened to Gary Vee before, he's always, you know, try to try to drown out that outside noise because you have to believe in what you're doing. And when you really believe in what you're doing, the path that you're taking makes complete sense. And you have to have, you know, complete um, confidence in your decisions, whether they're right or wrong, And you have to be able to accept your mistakes and your failures very quickly to move on. The best way to not is to j- basically just fucking ignore it. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you on that one and you're going to get it from all angles. And like I got it from my family. They didn't want me to pursue this lifestyle because they knew how hard it was on them and they didn't want that for me. That being said, you know, it's what I wanted so I kept plowing forward with it and um you really just have to do it. Um the social stuff is really easy to ignore. Like some dude on the internet talking shit about you doesn't really mean anything. So that's an easy one to ignore. And I think that's one that people get way too bogged down in nowadays when you really just need to put your nose down in your work and continue to do that. Just bury yourself in your work and everything else kind of falls by the wayside.
1: And in terms of, you know, the the family support, if that's not there, uh, how do you go about handling that situation?
0: Um, Just, I think they just want to continue to get updates that you're okay. (laughs) Um, You know, it's, you know if you fail out whatever they're gonna say i told you so and you'll simply move on because you know that entrepreneurship is something you want to continue to do so it's not really going to matter all that much um but you know i'm lucky that there was a little bit of family support there um but that being said they definitely didn't want me to continue to do this after especially the first like couple of years you know although you'd think that a family of entrepreneurs would understand very very much so that um entrepreneurship takes a while like 10 years is a pretty solid amount of time to put into this before I would expect any kind of serious turnaround. So um, that being said, I'm really kind of proud of what the team has accomplished in such a short amount of time, but your family is going to have to understand that. And if they're not from that world, it's going to be a bit more difficult to convince them. Of course, results speak for themselves if you can get any.
1: Got it. And and so, Michael, for you, um, you know, in, in your early 20s, you, you kind of realized that the corporate world wasn't for you uh, in high school. You know, I, I'm assuming that you weren't really focused in school. Were you focused in, in other things in high
0: school? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I've always been a very social person, so I was pretty unfocused in high school. I think that would
1: be the easiest way to put it.
0: <laughs> um, and I didn't really get around to kind of taking anything seriously until like my mid-20s when I came back to school. So I was kind of fortunate in that position. This is before social media that I could bop around the world and kind of do my own thing for a few years. But I wasn't like the selling baseball cards at 13 type of entrepreneur. I didn't start until a little bit later.
1: Got it, Which got is okay,
0: it. by the way. There's no age cap on anything. And I think that's something a lot of other people need to realize, too, is you can start whenever, as long as you start
1: absolutely i think that's that's people get bogged down by it like oh i'm starting too late like i'm starting too early even sometimes and there's no perfect time right you just gotta go do it
0: yeah like even with my current company elucity we were early we weren't wrong but we were definitely early like the technology to make our platforms literally didn't even exist when we started kind of selling them and then we had to build it which still took like another year and a half so um yeah at the at the end of the day get it down on paper and actually get started doesn't matter when you do it
1: got it got it so in in high school you were kind of more socializing um what yeah. did, did you dive into entrepreneurship like did you consume and were you being a reading or, or anything no. dabbling with it no don't forget when i graduated high school i was 2001
0: <laughs> now um more of what i was doing kind of at a younger age um was just kind of off the beat stuff that i wouldn't have recognized as entrepreneurship at the time i was, you know. Installing car stereos for my friend, doing competitions regarding that, car detailing, this kind of thing that could easily have grown into small businesses. Um, One that I did have when I was younger that was working for a home theater um, kind of startup in Edmonton, Alberta that we grew quite big and I got a chance to branch out and do my own thing, working directly for some ex-clients of that company and kind of grow my own small thing. I remember my dad always like (laughs) being very upset that I didn't stay in Edmonton, Alberta and continue to pursue that as I was quietly building it. But the kind of oil downturn really would have put me in a tough position in my early 20s. So again, you're meant to take the path you're meant to take.
1: Got it, got it. And so with the home theater thing, uh, you know, what what was kind of the catalyst for you to grow it so fast?
0: Right. So I just wasn't happy with the management direction of the company that I was working for. And I had had interest from a couple clients who were, I think trying to get a better deal. if They could get somebody in house to do the same work. So we just came to an agreement that I would start doing all that work in house for them and, you know, snake those ones. And that's just kind of how that went. And then I started growing on that, doing a lot of independent stuff through word of mouth. Um, this was at a time where it wasn't as easy to set up your flat screen television and get it all mounted and you had to buy like a speaker speakers amplifier dvd players and everything all separately and run all the wires for this stuff so it was just easier at the time for you know somebody to call somebody in to do it rather than trying to do it yourself there was no bluetooth (laughs) so there was a nice little niche right in there where we could just or where i could just you know sneak in and come do a stereo setup in an afternoon so that's kind of how that progressed out of a um, position for a job, and just talking to the clients and kind of making sure that their needs are being met. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. And you know, if you are um, not intelligent, but if you're if you're forward enough to think about it, you can finally you can maybe carve yourself out a niche within a client's needs uh, specifically just for you. But that's not not a course for everybody, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, to- that that's that's really cool. And from there on, uh, you know what direction did you take with that company then?
0: Um, I continued to bop around with that probably for about two, two, three years. And then mid-20s, I moved out to Vancouver. So that was 13 years ago now. And um, that's kind of when that story ended because I just decided I didn't want to live in northern Alberta anymore and I wanted a change of lifestyle. So I just dropped everything and put all my stuff in a van and drove out
1: here. That's awesome. And before I dive into that, Michael, uh, another big crossroad that, that people hit, you know, when they graduate high school, they freak out, they, they really don't know what to do. Um, kind of take me through those moments when you, when you were graduating high school, kind of what was on your mind and what direction <laughs> did you decide to take?
0: I didn't know we we're doing all this early high school deep dive. Um, at the time, I just wanted to travel. So I was from a very, like, um, very small town where I grew up, like not a lot of people, like less than 20,000 people. So at the time, I hadn't seen a ton of the world up until that point. And my number one goal was just to get the hell out of there and travel. So I moved to Toronto for a bit and then traveled around the world um, for a few years before kind of heading back home to work. So that was my immediate after is I didn't want to think about it. I wanted to go see stuff, get inspired, go see the world, travel around, party. And I was very fortunate that I was in a position to do that. So kind of, you know, work, party, work, party, kind of continue on. And um, that was actually a lot of fun. And I don't regret any of that because it's kind of allowed me to be very forward and ended up, you know, really creating a lot of, um, I think, uh, interpersonal skills that I didn't have by being in a small town that whole time.
1: And do you, do you think it's important for people to, to kind of take a break from school and travel and see the world? Do you think that opens up your, your horizon and perspective? Absolutely.
0: Um, I never really believed much in the direct course of going directly from you know high school to marriage to university to buying a house to working at the same job for 40 years until you die. Not really. <laughs> it was never going to be a thing for me, but that's highly personal to me. My sister is the exact opposite of that, Judy continued that course and she loves it and it works for her and I'm happy for her every day. That just was never going to be a happy situation for me. Didn't believe in it. So I needed to go find my own way. And that's important for anybody out there is you have to follow your passions and find your own way and what makes you happy. It doesn't necessarily mean becoming an entrepreneur straight out of high school.
1: And how did you develop self-awareness at such an early age?
0: Oh, have I done that yet? (laughs) (laughs) um at the end like i think when you're doing it you don't really you don't really know what it is like you're you know you're just out there in the world mixing it up you don't really understand that self-awareness i just knew and i think most people do what intrinsically makes you happy and what makes you doesn't or and um, what doesn't make you happy and i think if you kind of you know look at other people's situations around you look at the social situation around you and you can figure out whether you fit into it whether you don't or whether there's something else for you and i think that's easier today or for today's generation than it was in mine because we didn't have access to information like your generation does. So we really had to figure that out for ourselves.
1: And when it comes down to finding your passion, contrary to what you were saying earlier, I feel like there's there's an overabundance of information. And Mm -hmm. again, that leads to a lot of inaction and people get confused as to kind of what their passions are or what even sparks their interest. So Kind of what do you what do you do if you're in that situation
0: that is something where you can't put a lot of pressure on yourself to say i need to find my passion today that's not really how it works even today i would have told you up until like two years ago that my passion was making money it's not my passion is actually creating and starting businesses that's what my true passion is that's where i'm the happiest working with a small team we're working on something new it's exciting and we're staying up for like three days straight because we're so jacked on what we're doing that is way more fun than even seeing paychecks in my bank account three years ago i wouldn't have told you that so this is an always evolving thing finding your passion isn't necessarily a direct path you don't connect points to that you have to discover that as you move through life
1: that's amazing michael and when you decided to kind of pack everything and just kind of move to vancouver Was that just a split second decision? Did you plan it out beforehand?
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, no, (laughs) I I did not plan that out beforehand. I'm a, jumping in with both feet has never been a problem for me. Um, Definitely that kind of person. So I decided, ah, fuck it, I'm moving to Vancouver, threw everything in a van and literally moved to Vancouver. So that kind of like long-term thinking on literally every tiny micro decision in my life has never been a thing that I do. I just kind of do it. And kind of the chips fall where they may, which is, honestly been pretty decent for entrepreneurship because you have to get to a point where you just do it if you wait for all the ducks to be in a row per se it's never going to happen because the world simply doesn't work that way
1: and what was the first thing that you did when you got to vancouver
0: uh found a place to live
1: <laughs>
0: and um i ended up going back to school for like a, an accelerator program in fashion design at the time because i wanted to try something completely off the wall different from what i had been doing with my life which was much more blue collar kind of up to that point point. and um so that's what i did for the first two years and i was in vancouver and just kind of took small jobs with various companies like american apparel in the bay um around vancouver um while I went to school for that so not much entrepreneurial happened in that time I started a small hoodie company Uh, this is before kind of the big screen print on hoodies and everybody having a fashion line blew up and I didn't really stick with it because I went to work for much bigger names because I thought that was maybe more the path for me but it turns out it wasn't
1: and when did you discover that you know you dabbled in fashion when was that point where it was like okay like this isn't for me this isn't what I expected
0: even within fashion there's a parts that I really liked. Like I like visual merchandising, merchandising. I liked working in the actual retail stores for some of the bigger names that I worked for. I like doing the behind the scenes stuff with fashion week and kind of doing the event curation and actually running the event. So there's a lot of things that I did like, but I went to school for fashion design and there was most mostly, the, um, not the design part, like, um, but the actual construction part, I hated it. Hated all of it, can't sew for shit. So, <laughs> So there's a I found out that there was a lot that I didn't like. So then I decided to go kind of more into what I thought I had was or which I do have, which is people skills. So I went more onto the sales and marketing side of the fashion industry and worked in that for many years before transitioning into real estate. And again, it's a it's a discovery process. Like that's that took like four years to get to that realization. Like two years in after I was done my internship in New York, I was like, yeah, I don't, no interest whatsoever in cutting and sewing and draping. And I just wanted to go, you know, work with people and dress mannequins and work on the marketing promotions. That was way more fun for me.
1: So this, this, is, this whole journey has been just discovering what you like and what you don't like, trying new things and just keep on testing. Yeah.
0: The one thing that's always kind of remained when I look back all the way to the beginning has been uh, person-to-person skills, um, designing and creating businesses and business ideas, even if they weren't wanted by the particular business I was working for and sales. Like that's just kind of always been what's stayed consistent throughout my career
1: um, are those things. That's amazing, Michael. And and how did the transition to real estate happen? Was it just by accident too, that you kind of stumbled into real estate?
0: Uh, No, this was kind of after I'd uh, kind of tired of the fashion industry. I do get kind of, you know, I like to move on and move on to new things. This will always kind of be consistent with me and who I am but it was kind of like I was growing out of it at this point. I kind of hit the ceiling. I'd seen what the top looked like and that just wasn't enough for me. So I needed the next thing, but still used all my skills. And as we all know, anybody can write the real estate test. So um, this was, I'm going to say 2013. Yeah. 2013, 2012, 2013. And um, I decided to go write the real estate test because again, you can study and write that thing in three months. You are a realtor from then on. So, that seemed like an easy enough transition. And that's what I did.
1: And then from, <laughs> <laughs> from real estate, <laughs> in, in real estate kind of take me through your journey as to kind of where you started off and, and kind of what you transitioned into throughout that journey before you got to where you are now.
0: For sure. This is where it gets serious. Um, <laughs> so real estate, I started um, with a large marketing firm in town and um that made the most sense to me because i had been working in retail sales so the customers generally come to you and that kind of made sense as the transition to me i didn't know anything about resale there are no realtors in my family and um so that's kind of the only two dots that i could connect where it made sense for me to move into that industry was like okay if i can get a job doing pre-sales i can you know work from an office the clients come to me and that will at least be an easy enough transitional step for me to learn about the industry learn how the contracts and the paperwork work and kind of move on from there in any direction i want over time and that's exactly what i did so i um was fortunate enough to kind of ace my first interview and you know um, got a job with a marketing brokerage that's quite large in town and i went to sell pre-sales for the first few years of my career which actually i quite enjoyed Um, I liked working for the different buildings, meeting the different developers, and this is kind of where the two stories of my real estate career and my current career start to tie together, is I saw early VR (laughs) back in 2013, so that's kind of the first time I'd ever seen it, tried it, and definitely in an enterprise scenario, same seen it or tried it, so that is where that connection was made. And... um, kind of working through that industry. I I really enjoyed it. I got to work on some amazing projects with some amazing people, so that was a a very enjoyable thing, for sure.
1: That's amazing. And and what was kind of the your the biggest takeaway that that you had from working in real estate? Um
0: there was a few. I'll try to keep it positive. Uh no, there's there was many. Um the biggest takeaway that I had was it's literally the grind, like I've worked a lot of jobs, I've worked a lot of hours and both pre-sale and resale was the most hours I've ever worked. Um, even doing pre-sale, like I think the first person I worked for really ingrained or the first manager I had really ingrained into me, like, see that stack of cards, that's phone numbers, go dial phones. Right? So it was making hundred calls a day, continuing to call people, annoy people at home. This was just the way that it was. And um, I never had any problem doing that boots on the ground kind of work. I didn't have any predisposition. This was still kind of right around the time that social media was really starting to overpopulate itself in the real estate community. And everybody was like a social media master and realtor. Like this was just before that. So like it was still the old school way. Like I was door knocking and hitting the phones, even for presale.
1: And, and, uh, did you get to dabble in resell as well from there?
0: Yeah. So I did presale for a while and I kind of, popped around at a few different projects because obviously the company picks the projects that you're on and I didn't really do any resale during that time other than doing open houses for other realtors which by the way is a great way for new agents to kind of get in on that if you're in a larger brokerage just go to the senior realtors and see if they need any opens on any weekend take your signs go do their opens for them sometimes you can even charge them um, So yeah, then I ended up in West Van and then I went and worked for a very prominent West Vancouver brokerage doing resale, which was even compared to my current job, the most hours I've ever put in. Like That was like 4.30 in the morning till about 8 p.m. every single night, seven days a week because you were doing opens on the weekend. So that was nuts. And that was door knocking roughly 50 houses a day. So you'd wake up in the morning, go into the office, print off your stack of market reports for the day and go hand them out. And that's what I did every day. So, um, at the same time, very enjoyable, well, sort of enjoyable, but um, great learning experience overall. And um, yeah, no, it's, it was an interesting market. I was in the market at a very lucky time, for sure. Timing is
1: everything. And so, you know, would, uh, would, door, would door knocking and co-calling still and open houses, would that be, again, your best recommendations for new agents if they're just starting out? In the new
0: New agents do have more tools for sure. And there is something to be said for the power of social media. You can look at, you know, Ryan Serhant or, or any of those other power agents. They did have a little bit of, um, notori- they obviously had notoriety before. I think they were social media stars, but there's definitely something said for somebody who has 14,000 followers versus somebody who has 400 followers, right? Like that's still an intangible asset that you have. So always leverage social if you can. And today it's just about, just like door knocking. If you could, if I could door knock 60 houses, I would have put, you know, by the, you know, it would have put more potential in front of me. So if you have potential to put out more content, then I highly suggest that you do it. Um, but still the old ways, well, not today, obviously, but the old ways would have worked up until about a month ago. <laughs> uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it still instills in you a really good work ethic. And let's say it's a 100 houses for every potential listing. The people that notice at the brokerage that are still gatekeepers for your career moving forward will definitely notice you putting in those hours. So there's always something to be had out of those, for sure, even if you want to do it the old school way.
1: That's amazing, Michael. And, and when you first discovered VR, can, how did that happen? Did you go to like some crazy tech event?
0: <laughs> no, no. It was in my um, pre-sale days and very early in my career. And I discovered it and seen it and tried it at uh, Vancouver House Launch. That was the first time I'd ever seen it used like that. It was like an actual headset. It had a play space. So that's where you have little light boxes set up. And that was the first time I ever got to try it and uh very i saw the potential of what it could be if somebody had designed a particular product around it so immediately i was like hey there's a lot of potential in this technology and i just went away and started doing research writing business plans and that's kind of how that started it was just like the light bulb moment like oh my god if you could build a platform built around being able to showcase whole buildings this way that could be amazing you know clients could save so much money it'd be so much easier for people to get the visual information they need to make an informed decision quickly And um, that's kind of where the initial idea for the company that I have today started.
1: And how did you take an idea uh, into creating a business plan Uh, that that always seems like it's the first step, but you know, a lot of people don't know how to start with that.
0: Correct. So there's a lot of online tools that can help you with business plans for sure. At the end of the day, just you have to start writing it down. So what is it? Who are you gonna sell it to? What's the market? What's the market size? What's the potential like uh, for scaling up the business? These kind of things. Even if it's point form, just write down everything you'll need. Can you do it all yourself? Do you need a team? What kind of team do you need? Where will you find these people? Again, like who's your market? Do your SWAT? do your pests. Um, how are you gonna sell it? Who are you gonna sell it to? Who's the decision makers? All these kind of various things, just start getting them all down point form before bothering with the huge long form business plan. You have to write one of those and keep it updated, but at least start getting something down on paper, doing your research for sure. These are the easiest steps that literally anybody can do, because all you need is a pen and a notepad. That's it.
1: Got it. And from then on, uh, how did you execute on that? Because again, right. after having it down on paper, yep. you know, where do you even start? A lot of people like, okay, I have this great, like, where, where do I start? Okay. <laughs> yeah, a, that's an
0: excellent question. <laughs> so where do you start? Where did I start? Well, I was living in a crappy little house in East Vancouver and all I had was a crappy old PC and um, an idea on paper. And the next thing I did was obviously formulated that into a full on business plan. Like I went through, did all the research, especially the market research, who are your competitors, what are they selling, all that kind of stuff. So really get that laid out. And I knew who I needed to target for team. If you can't do everything yourself, say it's the me. you're a non-technical founder or you're a technical founder and you don't have the biz dev and sales side, you need to connect those two dots. Cause I don't believe that any successful company can probably launch without both of those things. Um, so what I did is I knew exactly kind of who I needed to find and I knew that person would exist within the video game world. I play some video games. I'm part of a couple communities of Twitch streamers and I honestly just started dropping dropping things into Twitch chat, dropping things into discord. You guys know anybody who does like coding for VR or works in Unity or Unreal Engine. That's kind of where I started and I Tried a couple of different teams before I ended up with my current business partner, Tyrell, who's been on this journey with me for over two years and designed everything that we've done. But in the beginning, that's where it started. And to find Tyrell, I actually put, I joined the Vancouver VR community and I literally dropped something on the Facebook page. Hey, I'm looking for somebody to start a business um, idea with. You know, contact me if you're interested. You know, it's VR for real estate. That was it. So these kind of resources, these communities always exist Um, in kind of any area that you are interested in so get involved at the end of the day that's what you got to do
1: that's amazing and when you said you kind of worked with a couple of individuals before you you know met Tyrell and and really stuck with him what were kind of some of the things that you were looking at in terms of finding the right people to, to, to to join you on this journey
0: Right, so I, he stuck with me, as how I, <laughs> um, no, it's, you really have to, you have to take a look at yourself, and your strengths and weaknesses, what you can bring to the table, what you can't, what your areas of expertise are, and of course, I needed technical expertise, so I had to break down how we would go about building this, where, you know, these qualities would lie, in this person, and I even had some help from when these communities kind of tweaking my initial rough pitch to be a little bit more kind of interesting to people that might want to join but again that's that's basically it is you really just got us you have to start like you just got to put something out there hey i'm looking to start a business with somebody you know with such and such and such post it to a community forum post it to a community board wherever that is and really just start talking to people and you will refine your pitch over time and learn kind of different ways to describe maybe better what exactly it is you're looking for or who you're looking for. But at the end of the day, it's probably going to be the exact opposite of who you are.
1: Got it. And then you met Tyrell, and did you guys start with a minimal viable product to begin with?
0: Uh, yeah, so I met Tyrell and gave him the pitch and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, this has to exist. Like VR, this has got to be a thing. He went back and did his own research, came back and said, no, we have to do this. It's not a thing, <laughs> which I had been telling people forever. And um, so when Tyrell and I moved forward with that, we actually dropped everything, moved in together into like the tech house, <laughs> like this the whole bootstrap way. And he um, built the prototype um, over the course of six months before we started going out in front of investors first because we thought that's the way that we wanted to do this kind of taking a look around and figured out if we wanted to gain critical mass quickly and and grab market share before any of the competitors kind of maybe saw this opportunity um, we'd have to get all the way to a finished production version of our software pretty quickly And um, that was the whole point behind going out for investment capital was to hire the necessary people, design the workflow and processes necessary to launch the full product as quickly as possible. Because there's two different ways to do it. You can bootstrap it, which is where you pay for it yourself. You kind of, it takes a long time because there's less people working on it. Maybe it takes a year to bootstrap and it would take you three months if you had a cash injection to hire the people to do it for you. So we went with the first way first, which was uh, definitely an interesting (laughs) tale here in Vancouver, which you can get into later, but that's kind of, that's kind of how we started it off. We just moved in together and I started to work on the kind of get way more into the sales and the marketing and how we were actually going to sell this thing and branding it. And, uh, he built the prototype for us.
1: That's amazing. And during those days, you know, have you ever thought about like quitting or giving up?
0: Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing, right? Like I, I'm a realist and, uh, but I thought the market would be a adopt a little bit quicker than they did. So at the end of the second year, I was kind of like, oh, damn, like this is really going to take a long time. Um, that being said, not kind of dissuaded from it, just, you know, really accepting that. Okay. Even though we made the best product, does anybody want to buy it? Right. So we did definitely get into that. But, um, at the end of the day, You know, in the darkness, only ambition will guide you and you got to continue to push forward and only you can do that. Like you got to pull yourself through the mud. That's classic entrepreneur. Like I had nobody to kind of rely on at that at this point. So you got to continue to push it forward. And a lot of it will be, you know, people who are on the journey with you. So if you do build a team, they will hold you accountable. Right. Like, do you want to let them down at the end of the day? You know, they drop their lives to follow you on this crazy journey. Like, uh, you know, you're responsible to them. If you have investors, you're responsible to them. So that's kind of at the end of the day, what will keep you going even through the hard times and, you know, sleeping on your office floor day, day after day, night after night. So, you know, and, you know, you got to be um, accountable to those to help you get to where you are.
1: Absolutely, Michael. And when you talk about like finding investors, um, What did those moments look like for you? Um, Was it exciting? Did you get a lot of rejections? Was it easy? People were just on board with it, with the idea?
0: Um, It was actually a really exciting time Um, at the time. (laughs) Nowadays, we're just doing it the old bootstrap way. But, you know, when we first came out, it was like, that was pretty cool. Like we got with an investment firm, they put some money in, they were taking us around town. So we were doing a ton of investment meetings. So that was that was really interesting because none of us had done it before and it was deceivingly easy at the beginning because the first time we ever pitched an investor, we ended up putting money into the company, which is like nuts. I thought we'd have to do a hundred before we get one check. That was kind of what I had mentally prepared myself for. So a lot of what you have to do is mentally prepare yourself for that. Will you get the first one? In our case, yes, but generally no, it's about a hundred, right? Same with listings. And you really gotta be ready for a lot of rejection, but that's why salespeople are fantastic at entrepreneurship, is because that shit just rolls right off our backs. We're already used to getting doors slammed in our faces. So this should be simple, man. Another a no is just another opportunity, right? Then you put that in the late adoption column and come back to them later, right? So you know you have to be mentally prepared for a ton of no's. But at the end of the day, I always looking back on it. <clears throat> recommend that if you can sell it yourself don't go with an investor and the reason for that is getting investors is easy selling in the marketplace is way way harder so if the market will buy it the investors will just come because everybody wants to be on the winning team right whereas if you don't have any sales yet the investment is going to be a lot harder to get especially nowadays because that whole big you know a valley investor writing you fucking VC check for a million dollars like those days are not those days are long gone so at the end of the day, if you can sell it in the marketplace, even if it takes you like an extra six months, do it that way, is my personal recommendation.
1: Got it. And so even like you're seeing the, the shift in, in the VC world and, and investments, and again, you mentioned timing is everything. And, and so at that moment in time, you, you kind of still rode the wave where the investors are still writing out checks. But nowadays, it's not as easy as it was. Right.
0: Correct. And then again, you're getting locked into terms. Are you happy with those terms? Like, do you really know these people? Or are you just happy to like eat that week? <laughs> you know, and I get it. There's both sides of that. You know, we were happy to kind of move forward. But at the end of the day, you got to be really, really careful about kind of what you're getting yourself attached to because short term, it might be great, but long term, it might not be what you want at all. So really make sure that that world is for you. Don't just get attached to, oh, you know, if I write a business plan, I'm going to get a million dollars you should do is probably just go create a product and sell it and get a million dollars
1: and what were the initial days of selling a product what did that look like because you said it was deceivingly easy so i'm assuming pitching the idea was easier than actually selling it
0: correct yeah pitching the idea on paper and even with our rough product and like our early prototype didn't even have like quarter the functionality of what the finished product would be like. And we were still managing to get kind of investor checks in those early days. I think driven a lot by the name of the investor that was attached to the company. But um, the sales was a different story. And I had already obviously had some open doors from my real estate development days. And those are what I kind of called on to at least get our foot in the door, but it ended up being just from complete random email out. I would just type up my emails, send them out every week, with a marketing material that I made up myself and did the website myself. And um, we just kind of refined that process over time, but it was email out, call to follow up, email out, call to follow up, email out, call to follow up. And the list grew from like 60 to one to two to three to 400. And It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's at the end of the day, what you got to do, right? Like you got to go through your funnel every single day. So I'm not the first one that's ever said that. And um, you just got to hit the page. So it's just like the cold calling, just like the door knocking, So now we're doing a SaaS model and you're just emailing and calling to follow up. And I was the entire sales team, even people that didn't exist in the company, <laughs> which is completely standard by the way in tech world. Like it's usually you and some other random person from within your company that codes, like doing all the sales calls and pretending to be each other. So <laughs> it's quite common. <laughs>
1: And, you know, what were some of the, the companies that, that you reached out to and how did you even get an email, let alone the right person or email to, to contact?
0: Right. So LinkedIn was obviously the resource that I used a lot for that. Um, you just got to spend hours and hours scrolling through it, clicking on every company and then circle and sorry, sphere of influence. Right. Like, who do they know? Who do they know? Who do they know? Who do they know? And just kind of keep growing um, that email list. And there's a couple specific tools that I used. Um, one that I'll name drop right now is Hunter IO, which I think I told you about. So Hunter.io IO <laughs> reverse look up any email in any company. And that's how I got a lot of the ones up from people that I didn't know. Um, so yeah, I'm that, I was that guy like emailing everybody in the company on like a Tuesday afternoon. So I got an email like, please stop emailing everybody in the company. There's nobody left to email. <laughs> Hey, whatever, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Like we're in sales, like that's just ingrained into us, right? But that's, at the end of the day, that's one of the tools that I heavily use. So it was LinkedIn and Hunter.io. And then um, uh, we did a bit of social, but never really been big on social again. We're B2B model. I found it a little bit harder to also then create all the social content on top. Maybe that's just my excuse. But um, that's definitely an area where I think we could be doing a lot better. But that's, you know, on me and my insecurities and I don't like to show things that aren't quite finished yet or have like professional grade presentations. So I've always found kind of um, the social to be lacking for us. And that's that's 100 percent on me.
1: That's amazing. And then you were just calling, emailing everyone at the company and then uh, I yep. guess you would just call them to follow up the next day. What did your follow up look like? Did you relentlessly call them every single day, email them mm. every day? No, what did, what no, did that no. look like? No, real estate <laughs>
0: development is a bit of, it's a slower moving industry. So like there was just no like everyday kind of pipeline for sure, but definitely on a weekly basis, which would mean between four and eight touches per month would be, I'd say reasonable without pissing everybody off. So you kind of got to find that sweet spot in your industry. Most people are used to kind of getting some form of outreach, but I'm <laughs> like the 12th email that you're just going to get put in the garbage bin and then that lead is dead. Right um but yeah it was mostly through email to be honest um and then just like one pagers that i drop on um uh, canva which is um, a website that i use uh, to make all of our marketing materials myself because we don't have a marketing agency or anything like that i just do it all solo and um so i would kind of take that put it in there and email that off and that would be it like pretty general short pitches i just look up tutorials online for how to refine email pitches how to refine your email marketing campaigns Mm -hmm. But it was honestly just, it was two full days. Now it's three full days to get through the entire email list. Um, So it takes quite quite a while to get through. just me and one other person so far. So that's kind of what you got to do at the end of the day. Um, I did have some luck through social DMing for sure. But if you add that on top of doing a full email campaign, that's going to be basically just nonstop. Don't forget I still have to run the rest of the business as well. And then if you add LinkedIn, campaign on top of that then that's just another layer although i never personally had much luck personally with linkedin and i know i get a ton of them and i almost ignore every single one so i don't know your results may vary maybe in your industry it works
1: but i only open my linkedin like every three days (laughs) (laughs) love it love it michael no you're really sharing some 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 great knowledge here in terms of how people get started and i think that's the most important thing when it comes to anything is like the the first initial Steps to get people started and on that path. Yep. Um, I guess from those days onward, you know, um, did you eventually get email replies back? Yeah, of
0: course. I'll take you through kind of like the next step. So we started yeah, to get yeah. some replies back in 2000, early 2019 is where the industry really started to like, I got a lot of emails back. Like it was like 80% returns. So then the next step for us was in person demos. So although our product can basically be used anywhere, we were still kind of stuck within Vancouver because you got to be careful of your kind of client acquisition cost. So I couldn't be flying all over the world just to do a demo just to come back. And we didn't have anything we could email because at the time and still today, our main um, product, which is called fully immersive experience, which is a VR hardware-based product still takes a headset. So then we go into the demo phase. Demos took about an hour. And the reason it took so long is because the interest was like genuinely there. Again, mm. that's, Everybody would say, we've kept track of VR technologies. We know it exists, but then they'd go through ours and go, oh, holy crap. Like, this is like 10 levels on anything that we even thought was possible. Um, So we knew the product was on the right course, and we kind of kept going towards, which is funny, because looking back, it was the initial product that I had always thought VR should be. That's exactly what we built, and that's exactly what the industry started adopting. Um, There was very little change in kind of the initial pitch for the idea to where we are now except for the fact that we built it out right but that's kind of what happened next and then there was another big one which i will there was another big turning point in september of last year which is we one of the um there's two kind of areas within b2b and real estate development sales and marketing that you sell to there's directly to the developers and then there's marketing firms so similar to the one that i worked for they generally do like sales and marketing for the developers so they'll put together the campaigns, the brand, the projects, they'll handle other things for them, and they'll handle the sales. And um, so we can sell to either of those verticals. It's the same for us. And um, we got with one of these companies that ended up taking us quite far. And um, we're really thankful to that guy. He's been a, His company has been a fantastic uh, partner for us. So we signed the strategic partner. So definitely look for strategic partnerships within your industry. These are people who you sell to who could possibly be investors or more. Your best investors are probably going to be your clients. So this is something to always keep an open mind uh, towards when you're kind of going through your entrepreneurial journey is look for people who are actually really interested in what you're doing, who might buy from you, but could also kind of help guide you through your kind of um, journey as you move forward through sales. So that's what we have. And he put us into something he did called Condo Expo which was also kind of a new thing for pre-sales because generally pre-sales is a pain in the ass. Like how do you lug some six foot tall model of a building down to a convention center and then set it up? that's where like our products work really well. So we had a fantastically successful showing September of last year at Condo Expo here in Vancouver. And that's definitely something to look into. I know obviously not right now, but um, you know, doing those trade shows, getting on that trade show circuit. The issue that I think, a lot of people have with trade shows is they do industry trade shows so we almost got not suckered into but there was a lot of kind of reach out for industry trade shows and that for us didn't net us sales like we weren't putting our technology in front of potential clients by doing a vr industry trade show doesn't really do anything for us i never gave a shit for that reason but a specific trade show for your where your clients are going to be there that's hugely valuable for you as a company. So. If you can scrape together enough money to attend a trade show or partner with who is ever throwing the trade show. So do a little digging, find out maybe there's a fit there, bring them on as a strategic partner or investor say, Oh, you cover my trade show costs for the next five to 10 years at your trade show. If it's a large one, like a national one, that's very worth it to you. And bring them on as an investor and that's the trade. You give them stock options in your company for trade show, access to every single trade show they host, that could be huge fuse. And that one was big for us. So that's the first time because we could just get all these industry people and people that have never tried VR to try it. These are people that wouldn't answer my emails, right? Like they were all there. So that was, <laughs> that was a big one for us. And we got a, some good sales right off the back of that. And that's kind of, you know, late September where we really started taking off with the VR stuff. And then we were very lucky that we were able to pivot into the online platform that we were always planning on doing, but we really pushed up the development on that obviously based on what's happening in the world right now.
1: And before we kind of dive into the transition to the online platform, uh, in terms of gaining interest in your product and actually converting the interest to a sale, because again, it was real estate, market generally moves very slow and they're not Mm -hmm. really open to new ideas or, um, taking on new concepts and ideas. Uh, how were you able to kind of get people on board with you? I mean, the interest was definitely there, but in terms of signing up for it, like how did, how did you do that?
0: The, the first sales came through our strategic kind of um, partner who I think really he did help kind of push those early sales. So that's why I would say it would be worth it for you to find one within your industry because they might help you get those first sales. Now, you are correct. Real estate development, marketing and sales has definitely been uh, slower to convert industry over time. They trust their trusted processes. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, for sure. And if you sell like print, then you're good. But um, we're trying to move the industry forward, right? Like there's, uh, you know, there's a lot more happening in the tech world that is actually beneficial to that industry than there ever has been in the past, and um that's kind of where our first sale came from. That was our strategic partner really being like, okay, you know, like I trust these guys. He gave us the vote of confidence, which we didn't have, and then we had to deliver, which we did, and then kind of we then we got the industry vote of confidence, and then kind of got another one, and these are multiple pitches and don't forget the emails haven't stopped during this point. We're still reaching out to these people. We're still updating them on our progress. Hey, we delivered one. Hey, we delivered another one in Hong Kong. You know, now you can go check us out at this presentation center and it just kind of kept going and going and going and you got to strike when the iron is hot after you get your first initial sale, then you just try to make that sale look as big as possible and really, really just push it as hard as you can at that point.
1: That's amazing. And till this day, you still have your email list going and you have about eight touches that that you uh it's
0: even I'm more like, now because more. we've expanded into other verticals uh the yacht stuff is well underway at this point and actually i got my first interest in the yacht stuff through dming on instagram but yeah like that's literally what i was doing up until we started this call and i will be doing for the rest of the night because it takes me 72 hours to go through the whole list at this point because <laughs> we're all over all over the place now we're in los angeles new york toronto dubai which is a big market coming online for us and now with the launch of like the platform that's global, like anybody can access it use that online anywhere. So I got to do a big marketing push behind that just redid the website. So we are very, we're very fortunate to be very busy right now.
1: That's amazing. And you've almost been able to really capitalize again, timing and, and capitalize on this bulletproof business. Um, pandemic proof business that, that you've kind of built around. Right. So I'm not uh, going to put
0: that in the marketing material, but yeah, I guess. We know it, <laughs> we're just fortunate that it ended up being the catalyst that pushed the industry towards more consumer focused platforms. Right. Mm. Like that's, that's it. At the end of the day, that's the industry. Didn't really have a need for it because the way that they were selling things was working just fine for them. So they're like, yeah, we like it, but we'll get around to it was generally their attitude. But now they're like, Oh crap. Our sales centers are closed for the next year. How do we sell a whole building without having a sales center? (laughs) We already built that, right? So that's, and that's where we are right now. So we were just, I guess, timing. Yes, ended up being in our favor for this one and um, ended up pushing the industry to more towards more consumer focused kind of applications and ways of doing business and continuing sales, even through times where people can't leave their homes.
1: And in terms of, you know, reaching out to people through DM is a kind of a similar approach that you take, you know, with the LinkedIn game kind of thing. And, um, yeah, how do you go about yeah, that?
0: Yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask for LinkedIn. Cause I, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm
1: like, I know Gary V
0: says to do it. I just straight up don't do it. Um, yeah. just because I, every time I get one, I ignore it. So I never really saw much in terms of value in it. I barely even post on there. I and mean, bad me, but, um, Yeah. DM game generally for me was easy because real estate was email campaign was still like the number one for that. As I expanded verticals into yachts, it became basically just about a yacht company would post a cool yacht and I would go, Oh my God, this is amazing. We would love to create this in our virtual sales. Can I, you know, throw you a demo sometime? And they'd be like, yeah, send it to this email address. Pretty simple. A lot of small companies do handle their own kind of social media or they have like one medium-sized company that handles it and that person will refer you to the person you need to be speaking to and again whenever you kind of have a company from social then you immediately jump on linkedin search that company find out who you need to be talking to hunter io reverse email them and then email that person to follow up directly anyways (laughs) so you're getting them on social you're getting them
1: directly to their email that, that's amazing, Michael. And uh, take me kind of through your, the transition from, I guess, the, in terms of the real estate side of things, from the VR to the the, the web, web app. That, right. Was that transition easy to make? Was it you have to build a completely different product?
0: Yeah, so that transition was always planned. That was going to happen later this year, early next year. So the whole purpose was to be able to sell a whole building to somebody while they sit on their couch at home. Like you should have access to all that information. It's a global sales center. That's never closed. It's on your phone. You can look up any building in any of the 80 cities in the world that have the exact same pre-sale process as Vancouver and you can just go on it, find your suite, you know, do your interior color options, buy your furniture, buy your park installs. like anything you want to do, we will give you the visual information to do that. We put the whole building using video game technology on a phone. And the transition to that was always planned. That's why we kind of had built our API and our backend processes in the way that we did. Using um, kind of Unity engine, our in-house IPs that we've created, machine learning to help us build the buildings faster with a smaller team, all these things that we kind of work together and processes and workflows that we worked out over the last two years. That was always the plan. All we did this year was switch the two as soon as this happened. We said, okay, now we got to push the online platform which is supposed to happen in Q4. We push that to Q2. And any VR sales, we just push those back to Mm -hmm. September when the building launches will happen. So we'll hit that again hard in September. But right now I was like, oh, well, everyone's sitting at home anyway. So we need the platform now. And that's what we did. We just pushed, we just moved that forward in the calendar and got the team together to build that. So that's kind of why I've been super quiet is because we've just been hustling that out as quickly as we could over kind of February and April. So it, it took a while. It was definitely, we had to invent a lot of processes that didn't exist still working on it now and but that's software development right it's an iterative process you got to launch your first one again jumping in with both feet not worrying overly what people are saying about it launch your first one take that customer feedback and then kind of revise and improve and that process never stops
1: That's amazing, Michael. Uh, You've been able to really accomplish so much in such a short period of time uh, as what it looks like, but really the story was a lot longer than.
0: Yeah, like (laughs) if you really take into account that I came up with this idea in 2013, it's been a while. So again, but that's part of the, even when we started in VR, like we were just super, super early. And one of the things that I completely underestimated was an industry's inability to accept new ideas. I did not think it was gonna be that hard at the beginning. I was like, we're just gonna walk in there and everyone's gonna see this fantastic product that we build. Everyone's like, yeah, it's great. Cut us a check. Uh, no. <laughs> but again, like that's that's just it. So you do, your, you do your cycle, like who's your early adopters? Who's your early mid? And we just found out for VR, especially in Vancouver, that we just had this huge amount of early mid. So that's something you need to look for. Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of no's at the beginning. It might be only one or two early adopters. But it could be like this huge wave of potential clients just behind that. You got to get and kill those first couple. So they say good things about you. And then all of a sudden that second one starts tumbling down. And unfortunately due to kind of current social issues, that one got paused for us. But again, it's not gone. You just got to wait till, you know, September early next year, whenever that happens. So there's a large degree of patience that you have to teach yourself because it's never dead it's it's just always paused. You just kind of got to find the next thing. So for us, that was the web app. And we just pivoted into that. Team got that going, knocked that out of the park. And now we're in full sales cycle for that one.
1: That's amazing. And in terms of your whole journey uh, thus far, you know, what do you think it has been being patient or being positive, like having po- a positive mindset? Kind of what was the the main factor that you know, got you through all this?
0: Um, Definitely ambition for sure. Like that's still number one at the end of the day, that's still like my main driver. I want a certain lifestyle and life for myself and until I'm there, I'm not gonna be happy. So that's a big one personally for me. Patience is number two. Even though you might build the best product on the planet, it doesn't mean that anybody wants it. So maybe you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out different ways to piecemeal that or other things that you can sell from what you built or the service that you offer or expanding into different markets that you didn't think you were going to get right away. So um, definitely a high degree of patience and then flexibility. Honestly, you never know what's going to hit you from day to day. Um, staying positive, annoyingly positive is good for sure. But I do understand that not everybody can always be like, yay, let's get up today. You're going to eat anything? Yeah. Ramen noodles for like the 37th time in a row, <laughs> you know, but that's what it is. You know, you really got to be accepting of eating that dirt for probably two to three years. If you're starting something new.
1: That's amazing. And Michael, where do you see yourself in five years?
0: Uh, in five years, Ellucity should, I'll probably still be helming Elucidi. Um We're probably going to be basically, if you're familiar, EA Games. Well, we're going to be the EA Games of Enterprise VR. You know, we want to be a big, huge, self-contained company with multiple offices all over the globe. And that's definitely, you know, if we can continue to deliver um, on our products and services and continue to make our clients happy. That's definitely where we're headed. So um, that's kind of the next five years of my life is still all grind. <laughs> it's not going to stop now. Like it's hammered down now that we kind of have people's attention. So that's my only concern right now is continuing to um, get the job done grow the team, grow the company. And um, you know, as far as it goes, we'll see.
1: That's amazing. And, and if there's one thing that you would say to your, you know, 25 year old self knowing what you know now kind of what would what would be that one piece of advice that you would give
0: for sure like i would say honestly just start earlier if you're somebody in your 30s who's like oh my god i gotta get my shit together kind of i should start obviously that's where i was when i really started taking things seriously was late 20s early 30s and i would say that to my younger self but what i'm doing now was not possible to do right but that being said i could have done a lot more for kind of self-improvement, self-development, you know, learning of my own accord uh, in my early 20s that I did do that kind of had to catch up on doing in my 30s, which is definitely a difficult time to make room for in my everyday, which is already very busy. So that's definitely a big one for me. Read more books.
1: <laughs> Got it. And Michael, last but not least, how can people find you?
0: Oh, that's easy. It's uh, Michael Ninian on Instagram and the company's name is Ellucity. So that's Ellucity.com. Check us out. Cool, cool,
1: cool. Thanks again, Michael. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for sharing your journey with us on the podcast today.
0: Of course, anytime. Appreciate it, John. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the On The Rise
0: podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music composition and vocals is done by Graham Best. Your host, of course, is the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Have a wonderful day. And we will, of course, see you next time on our way to the top. Cheers.